other ways inconceivable. 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 You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Today is Thursday, July 2nd, 2020. Feast of the Visitation. This is Mark Doherty, and I am not sitting in for Super Nerd. And I'm actually back. You're back again. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's so much happening with um, Dr. Matza and all that. And by the way, um, thank you. You you um, got Dr. Matza up and running with a website of his own. So thank you so much for doing that. We should probably plug that. It's it's edmundmatza.com, right? Correct. Yes. Cool. Yep. Yep. So work continues apace there. Um, you're back up and running, um, but as always, busy, 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 work, family, everything, and of course, various and sundry governmental totalitarian stupidities, oh, constantly, yeah. Yeah. constantly fighting, yeah. In, in the neighborhood, they, they want to mandate wearing the, the face diaper again, and, and uh, I don't know, I haven't been out since they ordered that. I, th- I think it goes into effect today, but uh, I guess I'll find out um, if they actually really... In, uh, really insist on it. Um, I'm hoping not, but we'll see. It's, uh, I, I, at this point, you know, mass disobedience, as Thomas says, an unjust law is no law at all. And I've been posting, I have a post pretty fresh up within the last 48 hours. Look, these, these masks do absolutely nothing first. So they're, they're, they're a complete farce. Then they're actively dangerous because they're filthy obviously that's just common sense and um what i found fascinating was that short video that i posted of the guy using the osha oxygen sensor to clearly demonstrate that um the second and what was so shocking to me about that video is that he wasn't it wasn't as if he was putting on some you know triple layer fashion fabric um mask or anything like that. He just had one of those stupid cheapo gauze disposable uh, numbers, you know, he puts that thing on and that, and the oxygen level drops from the normal ambient 20 and a half percent. I think it dropped almost instantly to like 17%, 17 17.2%. And, you know, OSHA had that several percentage points underneath the threshold for what OSHA says is safe. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've been hearing and, and we have, um, we have listeners and readers who are nurses and doctors and so forth. And they're like, masks are just hellish. You, you, you know, in the hospital and in the, in the, in the surgery theater, yeah, you have to put those things on and it's part of the occupational hazard is that, yeah, you get the carbon dioxide headache and they're, they're just awful. They're absolutely terrible. So not only do they have no effect, oh, and by the way, always go back to the base premise, this thing is a cold. It is, it is a common seasonal cold. That has to be the base premise of absolutely everything. And, you know, one of the things that's really helpful to do is to read the headlines and, and replace or kind of reform the headline reflecting that truth. You know, um, instances instances of common seasonal cold spike, you know, something like that. Um, 
5,000 people in, in Texas have a cold. I mean, rewrite these headlines like that so that they're true, so that they reflect reality and you'll see how imbecilic it is. But even, even leaving that aside for a moment, the mass do absolutely nothing. They don't do anything against viruses. And it's it's imbecilic to think that they do. In fact, they just make it worse because now you've got some filthy, dirty, damn thing on your face that you're constantly touching and messing with. I was in a restaurant not too long ago. And, you know, the the staff was being being good little drones of the totalitarian state, I guess. And they had them all, and they all had them on. And there was one girl, God, God love her. She was probably 19, 20 years old. And she stood there the entire time. I sat there and watched her. And all she did was fiddle with the mask and redo her hair and, you know, touch the mask, pull it up, pull it down, redo the ponytail, pull the mask down, pull the mask up. She couldn't keep her hands off of it. And what what's so interesting to me is that every doctor and every nurse in the world knows all of this. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows all about viruses and, and cleanliness and you don't touch your mask and you don't touch your face. Again, assuming for a moment that this this was even actually a dangerous virus, which it isn't. It's a cold. It's not dangerous to anyone except people who are severely immune, immunocompromised, like maybe people who have AIDS, and um, also obviously to the elderly who have comorbidities and whose whose um, immune systems are already shot. I need to correct you on one small point there. You said that the base premise here is that it's just a cold, except if you're in Texas, it can now be based on subjective symptom reporting. So if I think I have a headache and I might have a fever, even if that's just my subjective um, hypochondriac self-diagnosis, that is officially a COVID case now. No. Elaborate I, on that. I will, I put, I will put the link in, in the show notes. This is this is at, at a meeting of, I don't know if it was the city of Austin, but uh, it was a board, a, a group of um, health commissioners, and one of them was reading out the changes for reporting. And this is why there's a huge spike in Texas. It's not that people oh. are, are honestly testing positive for COVID. It's that the rules for what qualifies as COVID have changed. And why not? You get 29000 a pop for getting people coded as COVID. Yep. So there's no, there's not even any testing. If someone just says I've, I have a sniffle, whiffle, and a headache, then that's it. That's all. That's all. It could be subjective. That is, you're exactly right. And when, as we're now seeing that there's this tremendous, oh, largest single day um, positives. Well, I said okay, it's obvious what's going on here. The, um, the new world order put out put out the directive there will be more there will be a second wave you will report a second wave by hell or high by any means necessary hell or high water well you're exactly right that's exactly what they're doing they aren't even they aren't even test doing a test anymore i mean and the, the whole testing thing before anyway when, when have you ever in your life ever gotten a laboratory test for a cold. Never. Never in my life. Furthermore, do you all realize that there are something like 150 common flu and or cold viruses that are in that are in the catalog? There's 150 of them. 
Oh, that's a good so, point. And I've heard that the COVID-19 test doesn't actually test for COVID-19, but mm-hmm. any coronavirus. That's right. Of which there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. The other thing to remember is they're going to be screaming about mutation, mutation, mutation. Well, of course, that's why they chose um, Corona as the base vector because Coronas are known for their extremely fast mutation rate. That's why you can get a cold in like October and then get a cold again in March or April. It could be this, it could be the same, um, what would you call it? The same genetic line, except that Coronas mutate even throughout the season. So you can totally get um, two colds that are that probably had um, the same genetic provenance nine months before, um, but it's just it's because they mutate. Again, they chose Corona specifically for that purpose because remember what Bill Gates has said he wants to do. He wants to set up a regime where people have to get a, a quote unquote vaccination every three or four months. Why? Because, oh, it mutated. Oh, it mutated. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Let's let's choose exactly the type of virus that everybody knows just mutates really, really fast. Herd immunity happens, bam, 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 and you go from year to year. And, you know, like so many of us, most people get, get a cold every other year or something like that. Every year, every other year. This is no big deal. It was per, it, it was specifically chosen for that ability to generate revenue and a totalitarian requirement that you have to keep going and checking in so that your mark of the beast will stay enabled so that you'll continue to be able to buy and sell. And I'm not being facetious when I say that. That's what they're going for, that you have to keep um, updating your mark of the beast credential every, like quarterly. And if you don't, you're done. You can't work. You can't travel. You can't even buy groceries. Um, and if they get the contact tracing and a word about 5G, 5G is bad news, but not because it's like mind control beams or it's activating a virus and anything. Like that. That's crazy. The reason 5G is very, very bad is because it allows um, physical tracing based off of a, a handheld device or whatever, presumably a cell phone. And that the, it can, I I believe, and super nerd, you probably know this number off the top of your head. I think it's, it's a foot and a half is what it, it, you know, pinpoints to. Whereas before with just kind of triangulating your cell phone, I think the best they could do was, you know, several yards with 5G, they can literally see what table you were sitting at in a restaurant and who was sitting next to you, presuming that everyone there present had a 5G trackable telephone um, or device of some sort. They can see where you were sitting in the church and who was sitting next to you, for example. Go ahead. It's not far-fetched. The the possibility the possibility has been there for a while. It just has been cost prohibitive. But uh, in, in really what that gets to is is for cell phone antennas, um, typically the way they, they work or they, they have worked traditionally is that it just radiates in all directions. 
And so you have to be within the footprint of a cell tower. And typically that's how, how the, the cell phone company knows where you are. They, they don't know it within a few yards. They'll know it within half a mile or so in some cases. If they can see your phone signal from multiple cell, cell towers, then they can kind of do some uh, geolocation and triangulation that way. But the, the one of the aspects of 5G is they're trying to be as efficient with the bandwidth as possible. So they're trying to push tons and tons of data. And if you're simultaneously uh, radiating the, the signal in all directions, well, that counts, count, or that cuts down on the number of channels that can be talking to one base station. Now, if you've got a phased array antenna system on your transmitters and you're standing at, let's say, on, on, a, on, a, on a compass to, at 270 degrees off from the, from the cell tower, they can point the beam right at you at that point. So depending upon how precise these things are, how many antennas they are, and how, how precise it can tell where you are on the axis of a given uh, fixed array panel, they can definitely get an idea saying you are at um, somewhere between 240 degrees and 270 degrees from the cell tower at this location. And based on your signal strength, we think you're this far away. But what it also does for 5G is depending upon how tightly they can they can uh, do the beam forming like that, they might be able to use that exact same channel that your phone is talking to with four other phones around the compass at that point. So if you're due west of, of the cell tower, they could use that exact same channel because it's it's tightly focused and they, they phase cancel out so the, the other three people wouldn't hear this. Somebody due north of the cell tower could get that exact same channel without any, any, any interference to you and somebody due east and somebody due south. So in that perspective, it, it allows the cell companies to push lots more data through their system and support a lot more handsets at the same time. It also does support the ability to then finally uh, narrow down on where exactly you were. If it's just one tower, it's going to be, I don't know, within a few yards, close enough for, for an assassin to find you quickly. If it's multiple towers, they're going to get you very close very quickly. And if you're in a restaurant that has a, what they call a femto cell or a tiny cell inside the restaurant, well, duh, you're in the restaurant at that point. And again, they do that because they're not taking the load on their, their main network. Um, it, it's something they can they can push the push the the load out to the tiny devices, and those are the ones that people freak out saying, "Oh, 5G is like 60 gigahertz and these really high um, frequencies." That's part of the specification, yes. But 5G is a wide spectrum. <laughs> I don't want to overuse that word. It's 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 a wide array of specifications. It's more than anything else. It's a marketing term. But there are some technology upgrades that allow pushing a lot more data downstream. Um, the whole telemedicine garbage, I don't know why the telecom, well, actually, I do, I do know why, because most people don't understand technology or electrical engineering, and so they think, oh, I guess 5G is going to help telemedicine work. No, it, it doesn't. But what it will do is is allow for the, the, the phones in your, in your or the, the radios in your phone to operate at higher frequencies uh, for, for, let's say, in a restaurant. Rather than talking to the cell tower at 5 gigahertz, it might talk to a, a tiny cell at 20 gigahertz. And in that band, you have a lot more room to push a whole lot more data. The power goes way down at that point also. When you're within literal eyesight, uh, close enough you can throw your phone and hit the femtocell. And even for somebody with a half-broken shoulder like I do at the moment, you can still hit the, the, the cell. Uh, you don't have to have a whole lot of power going on like that. It's going to be as low as, if not lower, than Wi-Fi. And Wi-Fi can push about a gigabit of, of, of data right now. So um, that's... In terms of 5G, I, I understand a lot of people are freaked out and scared about it, but I, I'm with you. I don't understand. I, I, I don't understand what the the scientific reason for being scared of it is, 
other than the ability to geolocate you very precisely. Then again, if you have the Facebook app on your phone, first off, take it off there. But if you do, they've already got you to within a few feet anyway. Because that thing is calling home 24-7. If you've got the TikTok app on your phone, the Chinese can hear uh, what you're doing. They know where you are. They can read everything on your clipboard. So if you use a password manager and use the nuclear-grade passwords like I do, and you copy the password out of your password manager, TikTok reads that and then sends it back home to China. They just got busted on this. Um, so there's, I'm, I'm getting slightly off topic here, but in, in terms of... Um, I, I'm not completely discounting the idea that RF energy... Uh, in, with with 5G could have some physiological damages that go along with it. But I've been around radio and, and amateur radio and, and when I was in the Navy, literally standing next to, to radars and have not had any problem in the normal sense. I've, I've got a large family. So that was that was the joke we always had is stay on this side of the, of the aluminum wall or else you'll never have kids. Um, I've been around high frequency and high power um uh, high frequency for a long, or UHF, SHF, and all that stuff for a long time. And I, I, I'm not discounting that there could be some health things, but I haven't seen anything that actually concretely says, here are the lab results that show this is why 5G energy is different than 4G, is different than 3G. And, and again, all these Gs are just marketing terms. It's generations of technology. They're still operating, you know, your, your typical Sprint cell phone is operating at 1200 megahertz. Um, your T-Mobile phone is at 3,500 megahertz or 20, 2,200 megahertz. Some of the old Verizon and AT&T stuff is running about 800 megahertz, 1,200 megahertz, and 2,100 megahertz. Wi-Fi is at 2,400 and 5,300 megahertz uh, for comparison. It's, it's not necessarily the frequency. It's the frequency plus the power. And some frequencies do... Um, harmonize or, or, or resonate better with the human body. So for example, uh, in the amateur radio spectrum, there's a, a frequency band. They, they do this based on how long the wavelength of, of the, the radio waves are. In the two meter band, that's almost the size of a, an average adult male. So if you're about two meters tall, and actually the, the, the amateur radio band is just past two meters or shorter than two meters to be precise. If you're standing next to a strong transmitter at uh, 144 megahertz, uh, you might physically resonate with the, with the antenna at that point, and that could be dangerous. Now, there's also a principle called root mean square. So every every time you double the distance from the transmitter, you you um, the exposure goes down by uh, square. It's, it's, it's a square root thing. So it's not it's not linear. It's it's um, logarithmic, but negative. So if you're one foot away and you go to four feet, you're at like one one hundredth or something like that of what you were at one foot, and it just falls. That, that's why. If you ever go to the top of a building, uh, a really tall building in, in a downtown area, there are areas, there are white lines and, and different colored lines saying, do not go inside this arc because you'll get fried. Well, the antenna is sitting there and you're only four feet away from the safety line. How, why aren't you being fried there? It's because you have to be within that effective range. I'm, I'm getting way off into electrical engineering and I'm sure somebody's going to... Um, have have some feedback and by all no, means this is really, I'm, I, this is really not, interesting this is really interesting yeah I, i've definitely talked to some people who say no no no. this this stuff is more dangerous than you realize like okay where's the science on it i'm not discounting it at all it's just that i've, I've had some training on the rf side of it and the electric electricity side of it show me what the science is because i have studied this stuff and i'm not saying you're wrong in fact i can give you eight reasons why it might actually be dangerous that you haven't said yet but i'm waiting for more information on that um, as far as the, the as far as the 3G, 4G, 5G, 
those G's are marketing terms. It's just the generation because every generation will get faster bandwidth and that's what they're selling. The ability on, sure. on, on 2G, you could get text messages. On 3G, you could sort of start transferring files. 4G, you can watch YouTube or Netflix on the go. 5G, they advertise telemedicine or whatever kind of nonsense that they, they say. It's all marketing. Absolutely. And I, in terms of, you know, where's the science, where's the science, I've seen this coming about this panic mongering with regards to um, um, electro, electromagnetic radiation, because you can't get away from it. Okay. Who look at the people who are pushing this crap, quack chiropractors, um, quack, quote unquote, nutritionists, people like that. I, I, Unfortunately, I I, um, I saw a terribly sad case in which you know this person had completely fallen into basically a form of addiction and fallen under the spell of quack chiropractors and quack nutritionists. Absolutely convinced that everything everything was killing them, and one of the things was electromagnetic radiation. I mean, people who thought that you know if I melt some butter in the microwave that I'm, you know, I'm going to give everybody in the room cancer. And then adult human beings, intelligent adult human beings who actually believe this and the, the whole electromagnetic radiation, why do the quacks latch onto that? Because it's everywhere. You can't get away from it. I mean, and so that then they can start telling people you're sick, you're sick, you have symptoms, you have symptoms, you need my magic potion, literally magic potions. I, um, I met one person who was buying from their quack chiropractor table salt, table salt for $29 for a two ounce container. And I did the math out for them and showed them this and showed them you are paying basically $450,000 per ton for a commodity that sells for $45 a ton. You are paying a very nice detached suburban house for something that trades every day on the commodity market for $45. Then you go to this, this uh, quack um, chiropractor's website, and this quack chiropractor woman is literally a witch doctor. She mar says right there on her website that when she ships her magic table salt to you, which you're paying $450,000 a ton for, um, that you that she calls down spirits and positive energies onto every shipment that goes out. Folks, those uh, spirits and positive energies have a name. They're called demons. And you just you just sit and shake your head and you 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 try to talk to people who are who are in this mental illness and this addiction. There is no no discussing any of this with them. So 5G, that's the new one. That's the new one is 5G. Setting aside the demonic aspect, uh, I, I think there's definitely something to be said about science versus gullibility or ignorance. I mean, I've brought up the topic before of nuclear energy. Yes, the, the old Generation 1, Generation 2 reactors aren't as safe as the newest ones, but we could, you know, if we're really serious about going zero carbon emissions, um, how about all nuclear all the time for the base load? And we could even uh, power all of our electric cars with this easily. It'd be super cheap. It's, it's really safe. 
and if you if you're really serious about it, you recycle the partially spent nuclear fuel. People who call it waste don't understand science. And but but why can't we have nice things like nuclear power plants? It's because the greeny weenies are too stupid, or they're in, they're intentionally um, contraeducating people about nuclear energy. They're showing stupid videos like uh, China syndrome and and pointing at Fukushima, Japan, and saying that's what happens if you have a nuclear reactor here. Well, no, that's what happens when you put the the backup generators right next to the ocean in an area that's known to have tidal waves, and you don't have a good secondary tertiary system to keep the re- recycling pumps going. I'm sure you remember, or maybe you might remember, Hurricane Andrew. It was a Category 5 hurricane that hit uh, Florida in mid-90s or something like that. Uh, the they've got a Florida Power has a couple of nuclear reactors that that went they were I don't think they were in the the category five hit zone but they were in the within the category four ring, and they were down to the same um, situation as as Fukushima. Primary and secondary uh, power for the for the cooling loops were were gone. All they had was the diesel backup generators. But at least Florida Power put those things off the ground in a reinforced cage so that a Category 5 wouldn't knock it out. They had at least a week of diesel fuel, assuming that, you know, at the very least, uh, you could have the military helicopter in a bladder of fuel and refill the the fuel tanks in those things. So why didn't the nuclear reactors down in Florida do what the ones in Fukushima did? Because they actually planned ahead and said, we're going to plan for secondary, tertiary, fourth level power to the cooling loop so the thing doesn't boil and and and, uh, and have a breach so it's well i mean and i'm still waiting do you all uh, you all and you super nerd everybody listening do you remember the panic mongering that was going on after fukushima and everybody the the pacific coast of north america is going to be absolutely bombarded with radiation and everybody's going to get cancer and all of the fish are going to be poisoned and this this went on for years years this paid that this wave of radiation was coming across the ocean where is it where it's 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 exactly the same place as all of the people who are going to be dying of mad cow it's it, it exactly the same place and you know this just all speaks to and this is i've spoken about this and it's so frustrating is that you've got all of these fake things like this Conspiracy theories, panic mongering, blah, blah, blah. And this is Satan's master stroke that now that there's actually something going on and there's an actual, legit, full-blown conspiracy, like up in everybody's face, destroying the country, destroying, uh, trying to destroy the entire, the entirety of Western civilization, People are so, there's been so much of all of this language alert bullshit with these just idiotic and nonsense conspiracy theories that now that the big one is here, the whole, the prime, the prime, the pump has been primed and nobody, nobody can, can process that, oh my gosh, this actually is it. This actually is a ginormous full-blown conspiracy and you know you're standing over here jumping up and down trying to say um this thing is a common cold uh bergoglio isn't the pope ratzinger's the pope you're jumping up and down screaming and your enemies 
the the tools of Satan, whether they're whether they're willing in this or whether they're just deceived, they're pointing at you and saying you're a conspiracy theorist. You're a conspiracy theorist, and it's 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 frustrating. But you you can see exactly what Satan's tactic was, and it's it's been masterfully played. The the preternatural realm, the angels and the demons, the angelic beings, they are massive massive intellects. And, well, and that's for the people who are even paying attention to the whole Corona takeover. Mm-hmm. The conservatives are all looking at the Supreme Court jumping up and down and saying, you're redefining words, but hey, thankfully we got something about, uh, we, we want a case in New York. The white liberals are all kneeling at the feet of black people saying, please forgive us. And the blacks are wanting to tear everything. Actually, it's not even the blacks. It's the, it's, it's the, probably the same group who's, who's pushing the Corona garbage, um, yeah. fomenting okay. a, 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 um, a race revolution a race right war. now. Yep. Oh, by mm-hmm. the way, we still have this Corona um thing going on you know it's it's enough to make you want to drink and to that point <laughs> well done uh, we see, we, i'm we, drinking I, too i've got a i've got a um i'm finishing a bottle of uh, a very nice riesling i love riesling so um you you and me both bud this is this is a keto beer that my wife got so i'll i think it's Ooh, i think it's keto beer yeah, she she said that's what it was, but it tastes grapefruity, so I'm not I'm not sure. She said it was okay for me. Don't call that a beer, dude. Don't call. It I, a beer. I don't know what it is. It's it's bubbly. And, it is and a it's, refreshing, it's refreshing beverage. <laughs> Supposedly there's alcohol in it, but I don't, I don't really care. I'm just looking for something fizzy and and cool. There so we go. do have some questions. I I tweeted out that uh, if folks have questions for Anne, uh, submit those. And, and it's not really an Ask Anne episode. It's it's just a, a a mishmash, hodgepodge, goulash of different stuff. And uh, we kind of already touched on one of the questions. Uh, somebody, actually two different people wrote in. These are pretty much overlapping question. What is Ann's opinion on avoiding daily mass due to the requirement, daily mass due to the requirement of wearing a mask? Would it be a sin against the first commandment? Would it be pride? And along that same theme, the whole masquerade mask is still yeah. going on despite common sense and science. Is wearing a mask actually dangerous? And we kind of hit on this already. Yeah. It is, is it yes. true that humidity and ultraviolet light is what actually kills Corona cold? Yep, absolutely. 100%. And, I, you know, the one that kind of surprised me, the UV and, you know, the sun and the fact that you, when, when you move into northern hemisphere summer, that the sunlight is more direct. And, of course, the vitamin D thing. I think that's legit too. People, people go outside and their skin is exposed. And so they're, and so, um, especially white people are producing more, um, vitamin D. The, I, they think there's a theory and this makes sense that, um, black skin people don't produce vitamin D in sunlight in the same way that white people do. It's less efficient. It's less efficient. And so they don't, so black people don't have the vitamin D kind of uh, summer dynamic thing that, that white people do. So there's a, there's a theory that that might be why um, black people are, are seeing higher numbers. I also think the fact that in North America, um, black people tend to be overweight and there's a lot more diabetes among blacks in the United States. I mean, not that whiteies are all are all skinny and there's no diabetes there, but per capita, especially in the South, um, being overweight and having diabetes is just is bad. And let's also be honest. We have now acknowledged openly that um, they are murdering people. If you present at in certain places, if you present at a hospital they see the 29,000 or 34,000 or whatever it is. That's all, that's what a lot of those people are seeing. And so if you have a 
less educated black person present at a, um, an ER or whatever, let's be honest, it's a lot easier to take advantage of those people because they don't have, you know, they don't have the level of scientific education, a lot of them, that that is more prevalent among whites. But, you know, having said that too, whites are getting slaughtered too in New York. They just, they just shove it, they shove a damn vent down those people's snorkels and that's it. You're dead. You're basically dead once they do that to you. And, you know, you want to talk about Black Lives Matter. How about taking taking advantage of poorly educated American blacks who have no ability to argue any sort of science or advocate for themselves in any way in the context of of a hospital situation? You know, it's just, well, the doctor said this and and mama's going to die if we don't put her on this thing. The doctor's saying, do it, so do it. And then, of course, mama's dead and hospital collects 34 grand or whatever. It's it's so insidious. Um, it, and to, back to the question, though, about going to mass, I think we talked about this on the last episode with you and me, didn't we, about um, options for going to mass without actually entering the church and all that. Yeah, I mean, I... I think the question you, was, if, if, if you don't go to Mass because you don't want to wear the mask, is that pride? And I apologize to the, the person who submitted that question if I got it wrong. No, I, th- I think that's the question. Um, it's a lie. It's totalitarian. You're submitting to a lie. I, I, I just, I don't. I don't see that. And if you've got, like I said, if you've got options in terms of going and making the beautiful witness of going to the church and kneeling out in the grass, I mean, do you honestly think our Lord is, it doesn't understand and doesn't see the context in all of this? Um, And I've, I've told, like I said, I've told my, my parish priests in the place that I am, I'm not wearing that damn thing. And if, if it were to come to that, um, we need to figure something out about, can I hear mass from the sacristy or something like that? But no, I mean, it's, it's a lie. It's totalitarian. Um, this, this is not about, um, obedience and the virtue of obedience. This, this is about submitting to, to abject evil totalitarianism. It could also be a species of ignorance in action, kind of like we were talking a minute ago about uh, technology and and people being afraid of things because they don't understand the science or they've never learned it or they've learned a lot of fake science. It could also be that people just haven't learned the the aspects of the faith, so they're operating, they're they're allowed to be steered around because they don't know what the right way is. It's, It's like... It's like the average, I'm going to say, stereotypical middle-aged woman at a computer store asking the person there what computer they should get. She mm-hmm. doesn't know computers, and the guy is just going to sell her whatever he wants to. Yep. Um, boy. One of the interesting uh, ancillary aspects of this, though, is, is that it's also highlighting um, who is going to follow what the bishops are saying without question. And one of the beneficiaries, and I don't think they were wanting a uh, scan or pandemic to boost their numbers this way, but a lot of people are discovering that, hey, there's this place out here called the SSPX and we yep. can go to mass there and we can get the sacraments. Yep. And, and, uh, yeah, can, and that, I, can I, very important point to jump in. 
um, to all of the Ecclesia Day um, clerics, priests who are out there listening, and I know there's there's quite a lot of you. Hear me now and believe me later. You are hemorrhaging people to the SSPX. Most especially what I'm hearing is frustration that if if you're in the situation where the totalitarian regime is saying that you can only have something like 25 people at Sunday mass or something like that, you guys need to be binating or trinating and get as many masses on Sunday as you can. If, if the totalitarian regime says you can only have 25 people at mass and you still are sticking to your normal two masses, uh, people are looking at that and going, what, what is going on here? Why aren't they, why isn't, why aren't both priests in the parish saying three masses on Sunday for a total of six masses? Why don't you get as many people in on Sunday as you possibly can? Uh, yeah, we're going to the SSPX. And you know what? The SSPX, you know, I, I don't go there, but I consider them to be, I mean, obviously their, their masses are valid, obviously. Um, and, and they're not in schism. <laughs> in fact, they commemorate, they commemorate Bergoglio at the Teigeter and always have. So that, that argument is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, they, yeah, in fact, if you ever get a chance to see in the sacristy of an SSPX chapel, you're going to see a note uh, over the, well, someplace in the sacristy. I think they try to keep them more or less in the same place. It's because the SSPX priests travel around so much, mm-hmm. they don't always know which diocese they're in. So they check this card. They sh- they know who the Pope is, but there's always the name of the bishop there. Mm-hmm. So that when, when they do the, the commemoration, they know whose name they're throwing in. Is it, is it Joseph? Is it Robert? Is it Frank? Who is it this week or, or where I'm at right now? So. So that's why if you're, you know, as so many more people now are reading about these questions, you'll find the super crazy, completely off the reservation set of acantists like the SSP two and a half, SSP one and a quarter, those those guys who are completely out, totally out, they will refer to the SSPX as no as a Novus Ordo sect. And you look at that and you say, what in the hell are what what are they talking about? It's because of that. It's because they commemorate the local bishop and the Roman Pontiff. In this case, obviously, I believe they're they're commemorating an anti-pope, but be that as all, all along, they commemorate the the Roman Pontiff and the local bishop. So arguing that they're that they're schismatic is is completely wrong. In this situation, I've been extraordinarily impressed with the all hands on deck dynamic that's gone on. And I've not heard anything about anyone, any refugees from let's say Ecclesia Day communities going to the SSPX and getting any gruff or any static or any side eye or anything. Everything I've heard is that the SSPX has been has been absolutely delighted to help as many people as they can without any thought of, um, oh, ha ha, rub my hands together. This is great. No, I, I have not heard any of that dynamic at all. And frankly, I've been impressed with their all hands on deck helpfulness and and graciousness in all of this. Yeah, believe it so, or not, their goal is to get souls to heaven. And it, is, it doesn't matter if these are souls they see every week or if it's uh, people who are just coming in now because their their local bishop is, is is telling the the local Ecclesia Dei priest that they can only do 25 or so. I mean, we, I think we mentioned earlier, 
uh, I think it was Easter, uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall posted uh, something, you know, thank you to the SSPX because my family was able to go to Mass and receive the sacraments today. If you know the history of Taylor Marshall, that's an astounding thing. He's He was he has not been friendly to society until very recently. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, speaking of Taylor Marshall, you see that uh, Donald Trump mentioned him by name in a tweet? Yeah, I saw that just a few hours ago. So I, I wonder now, does that mean that we're going to see Donald and, and, and uh, Melania at Old St. Mary's in, in uh, D.C. going to the traditional mass with uh, Dr. Taylor soon? Hey, hey, I I don't care what your path in is as long as you get in, as long as you get me. So you between Trump retweeting Vigano, his letter, um, and this, I, you know, I've obviously Donald Trump not my favorite person in the world, not someone I would I would have ever hung out with or done business with in my previous life. No. But you know what? We're rooting for everybody to get to get in and to get to heaven. For for Trump, for Melania, whatever their marital situation is, get that squared away just by any means necessary. I mean, and what a, what an incredible miraculous thing it would be for Donald Trump, this massive um, egotistical narcissist who's built his entire life on this and on, and on, you, you know, truly usurious and, and, you know, strategic bankruptcy stuff, man, he's baptized. So one, one good confession and reception into the church and if, if he were if he were truly repentant, how could you not be rooting for this? And what an what an incredible, incredible conversion that would be. I well, mean, it, it wouldn't be the most magnificent conversion in history. I mean, that dude, Constantine, was a little more interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. But um, we should be praying for this. Absolutely. And God, God bless him for retweeting Taylor Marshall. And um, don't be surprised, y'all. Don't be surprised if Trump might not have a role to play in the whole anti-papacy thing, because he know he knows he knows about that the so-called Catholic Spring and Hillary and Podesta's dirty tricks and how they they were talking openly about overthrowing the church. Um, it is it is absolutely conceivably possible that he could end up playing some sort of a role in this. Well, the and if other- there's if there's any truth to the whole QAnon, um, I don't want to call it conspiracy, but um, story, whatever that is, if there's truth to that, they, they apparently a lot of the intelligence is coming out of military intelligence, people who are not happy with what was done in the last ten years or so. And if that's true, I mean that would be they've got access to NSA, and NSA can wiretap. They can wiretap a frog and tell you what it thinks. They can they can get anything, and um, I I would be I, I don't I don't say this with with hyperbole. I would not be surprised if the NSA has got uh, photocopies of the third secret, and if they know everything that went on during the last conclave, and if if these if the folks if the QAnon stories are true, and if if they have access to that information and they're and they're working with Trump. There might be an angle to all this. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe they're Catholic. Who knows? Maybe they know that that uh, the third secret really is what's going to be required: uh, the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Yes, a lot of energetic things are going to happen, and along with that, but it, it it might be the only way out, and maybe they know it. Yeah, and we, I was so grateful to you, Super Nerd, and I posted it. You sent the um, the No Agenda 
podcast where, I mean, Adam Curry is sitting there talking about anti-papacy, um, coerced resignation, da, 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 da. And you're just like, man, man, this, this is going mainstream and it, it in and of itself talk, talk about the divine providence and grace how many people are sitting right now looking at all of this, looking at what's going on with the corona fraud, looking at the overthrow of the United States, clearly Civil War II, looking at, at what's going on with Bergoglio and saying, damn, second look at the Catholic Church? What, why, why isn't it the, you know, the leadership of the Presbyterians that's all embroiled in this? What, why is it this... Why is it all this stuff that's all tied together and what's going on? This And even people who are either apostate Christians or even just kind of kind of nominal Christian, most people, most people have at least a glancing familiarity with end times prophecies and vaguely with kind of what's talked about in in the apocalypse in the book of Revelation. And they're looking at this and saying, this is all deja vu-ish in terms of I've heard this before and this seems really familiar and that guy over in Rome there's something really sketchy about that and I think there's a lot of people who are either um, just nominal Protestant agnostics or even atheists who are just sitting up and, you know, their head is cocked to the side like a like a golden retriever, you know, and like, what what do we need to be looking at here? Avenues of grace, my friends. I mean, just how how many people could possibly potentially be converted because of all of this. So that's, again, that's why you keep pushing on this. And that's why you keep talking about this because there's people out there who are, who are waking up and saying, this is for real and the consequences and, and what could happen within all of our lifetimes yet. Um, it's, um, what's, what's the name of the famous, the famous choice, um, about whether or not there is a God and whether oh, Pascal's choice, be, Pascal's choice. Thank you. Thank you. Or Pascal's wager. Pascal's wager. Yes. That look, if this is real, then the stakes are infinite. It's whether it's where you spend all of eternity. If this is true, if it's not, then it's soul annihilation. And uh, how do we know what familiarity do all of us now have specifically with the concept of, with the lie of soul, of soul annihilation over the past seven years? Because that's exactly what anti-Pope Bergoglio is constantly pushing. Eh, if it doesn't work out, boom, you're just snuffed out of existence. He's, he's trying to play the wrong side of Pascal's wager, you see. So um, it's very interesting and we keep, fighting we're gonna keep going and it's we oh, pray for his conversion a, but if he doesn't man i don't want to be anywhere near him when he's judged well you know we'll see everyone sees everything at the general judgment everyone's life is a um i heard a, a french priest years ago in his extraordinarily thick french accent say that everyone's life will be put up on a on the equivalent of a giant imax movie screen and everything you've ever done will be revealed to every rational intellect in existence. And so there's two things about this. 
The first is this should be somewhat of a deterrent for you. Don't do things because at the general judgment, don't do bad things because at the general judgment, everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to find out. Everyone's going to know what you are. Now, don't be, um, don't be terrified of this in the sense that, oh my gosh, the people, the people that I love are going to stop loving me because they're going to see the sins that I committed in, in darkness or whatever. No, here's why. Every sin, everything ends up being to the glory of God. People who end up in hell, um, they are a testament to God's justice. People who end up in heaven, all of, all of whom are sinners, except for Our Lady, of course, um, people who end up in the beatific vision in heaven, they are a testament to his mercy. So don't worry. Um, you've committed sins in your past, whatever. Everyone who sees all that, which is everybody, if you end up in the beatific vision, they'll still love you. And in fact, they will see you as a vector, as a manifestation of God's infinite mercy, and they'll love you all the more. So, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean go sin. Um, it should be, it should be a deterrent in your mind. If I do this, eventually everyone I know, everyone I love, everyone in the entire universe is going to know that I did this. So, you know, pump your brakes a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that, if that doesn't make you pump your brakes, then then not much will, I reckon. Well, it, you you hit it on the head. In eternity, everybody's focused on God, and to the de to the degree that anybody pays any attention to any other creature, it's their relation to God. And like you said, Saint Augustine or some other uh, Saint Mary Magdalene, whose feast is later this month, or some other great sinner who then converts and becomes a saint. It, it's it's the fact that God's mercy and their their uh, ex, their uh, reform of life and the, their relationship to Jesus that is what is known and, and and celebrated and appreciated as opposed to the one who who had the truth maybe even had the faith and then turned and threw it away it's not that you care about that person per se but you are glorying in God's justice because let's be honest I mean and maybe this is maybe this is too human of a way of thinking about it, but you know we're we're all going to be crucified, either figuratively or literally in this life, and it's nice to know that at least the people who are doing this to us are going to have justice one way or another. Yes, we don't need to worry about it in this life because God's going to sort it all out. And that lifts that lifts so much stress. So again, getting back to the question and the concept of. Um, Anne, why are you so happy? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if if you've if because you're if you're Anne on the path, you you should be happy because we know we have the victory. And like Super Nerd just said, I mean, it's ever everybody's gonna get theirs. And you know, the Christian understands that if if we achieve the beatific vision, that. <laughs> We we got so much better than we deserved. I mean, yeah. obviously, nobody deserves the beatific vision. Anne doesn't need to keep a running tally of everybody who's done wrong to her. She just nope. needs to worry about herself and trying to bring other souls to heaven. And if people don't like Anne, whatever. 
yeah, the the axiom that that is so good that I heard not too terribly long ago. It's been a few years ago now, but not too terribly long ago. But it, it comes in so handy. Is what other people think of me is technically none of my business. That's great. That, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that from now on. I know that boy. I tell you what, that comes in handy. You just say it's none of my business. That they are a human being. I pray for them. If they explicitly become my enemy, then I pray for them explicitly as my enemies. In fact, that is at mass. That is the one, two, three, four, five, six to the last, six to the last after mass prayer is for my enemies. And then sit, sitting around just having your entire life consumed about what people, random people on the internet or whatever are saying about you. Bah, bah. It just, it's, it's technically none of my business. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Speaking mm-hmm. of people on the internet, I, I saw something on Twitter. This is guaranteed to throw Ann Barnhart into ecstasy. And it was <laughs> from a set of a contest group talking about that letter that, uh, that uh, Francis sent to Benedict referring to Benedict as your holiness and simply signing it as Francis, um, supposedly reinforcing the fact that Francis is not the successor of St. Peter. He might be the Bishop of Rome, but he's not, he's not the successor of Peter. And that's this, I care less about promoting the, 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 the set of a contest. But the, the point is, is that um, along this theme, I, I saw that on, on your blog, you mentioned Larry B. Hirsch has now gone public that, mm-hmm. that Benedict is the Pope. I have not fully said, I, I can't, I still can't fully say yes, Benedict is the Pope, but let's just put it this way. I'm standing on that side of the divide in case things <laughs> rupture so that my, my weight is, is, is not going to take me over the edge. Can, um, can I ask, has, has Dr. Motz's um, information and his, his hypothesis, has that like nudged you as well? It's nudged a lot of people because it's so good. Has, has it nudged you at all? Um, the non-profound way of saying it is, dude, that makes sense. Yeah, right, right. Oh, and I, somebody, God bless this person. Uh, let's see. Fran. Fran sent me an email a couple of hours ago that is crazy with citations from Cardinal Manning. And I'm going to um, publish that. It, that will probably be published before you get this podcast published. It's going to be the next the next post I make. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. And yeah, so, I'm not going to yes. edit the podcast tonight. I'm, I'm going to have a nice slow morning tomorrow since we're, mm-hmm. uh, we're observing the external solemnity of uh, the 4th of July uh, at work. <laughs> and... Um, and and so yeah, I'm I'm if if I publish this tomorrow, it's going to be afternoon or so. Yeah, no problem, no problem. There's but so I, much content. Yep. But I mentioned the uh, the the reference to uh, Larry B. Hirsch and and uh, Pope Benedict, because that leads into the next question. The suspicion is that Benedict the Sixteenth has been forced to silence because of threats made against his brother Georg, who died yesterday on the Feast of the Precious Blood, on a scale of 1 to 11, what chance is there that Benedict will stop complying and now stand up to the people who appear to be his jailers? Does this one go to 11? Uh, um, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to go spinal tap on this one. Um, let me say this. From the very beginning, pretty much all of my contacts in Rome, um, you know, pretty high level people. I don't want to toot my own horn or anything, but the name of Georg Ratzinger 
And the notion of coercion just kept coming up. First of all, Pope Benedict loves his brother and loved his sister. His sister died in 1991. Her name was Maria. It was She was the oldest. Um, and they were extremely close and they loved each other. Here is the here is the theory about Georg Ratzinger. He was the um, Kapellmeister. He was the the head of the choir of the big cathedral, and he his his um, priestly apostolate was actually mostly music. Um, very musical family. Pope Benedict is very musical. P- probably doesn't play the piano anymore, but played the piano um, within the last seven years. Um, love music. Georg Ratzinger, he devoted his priesthood to um, to choirs and, and so on and so forth. He was the head of um, the, the big cathedral there in Bavaria and the, the big, beautiful choir. And we all, anyone who knows anything about ethnic Germans knows that they have a tremendous um, um, choir culture and and beautiful beautiful singing from from the german catholics so he was the head of this choir for the boys choir boys choir for 30 years in fact he was head of all the choirs in the cathedral but under his auspices of course was also the boys choir now you can see where this is going the church especially the church in germany has been completely infiltrated by sodomites and and pedophiles over the past 50, 60, really 100 years. It's bad. There's no one that this doesn't touch. See, this is I've talked about this, this whole this whole paradigm of everyone in the church who has any position of authority, who is elevated to a bishop, every single one of them is basically one degree of separation away from some faggot priest who's been molesting lads. Because that's it's just that common. So there was under Georg Ratzinger's authority as the big uh, Kapellmeister in Bavaria. Well, of course there were priests who abu- who abused boys. I mean, at this point, one doesn't want to be casual about such a such a horror. But at the same time, the infiltration is so is so complete. That you know, you just say, "Well, duh! Of course, of course, that he would be one degree of separation away from some fag priest who is who is under Georg Ratzinger's technically his authority, who was who was raping boys." And so the thought was, was that Pope Benedict was being coerced by the Sangalan Mafia, by you know the Luciferians, basically saying, if you don't do what we say, we're going to say that your brother was a pedophile, which he wasn't, but he had, but he did have priests under his authority who were as I, well, that, there you go. That's proof. I mean, these people are shameless. They don't need any evidence of anything. And the proof of this is just look at the Charles Martel book. Um, it was released, what, a year and a half ago. French sodomite, atheist, um, militant activist writes a book. Half of the book is about Cardinal Burke. Martel's entire proof set um, about Cardinal Burke 
is is that he seems too straight, but he wears all this lace, so therefore he's clearly gay. I mean, th- this is this is fa- this is how faggots are. They accuse everybody else of being faggots. He did the uh, Martel did the same thing with Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict had written in one of his memoirs that when he was a, when he was a teenage lad, he had a a um, not formal courtship, but there was a girl that he was, you know, he was deciding, do, do I, do I court and marry this girl that I like, or do I go ahead and pursue the priesthood? And he decided to pursue the priesthood. Martel says, well, look at here, the fact, the fact that he's claiming that he had a girlfriend when he was a teenage boy, that's proof that he's gay. This is how faggots operate. This is textbook sodomite rhetoric. It's just no matter what you do, if you're straight, you're gay. If you're gay, you're gay. If you're in the middle, you're gay. Everybody's gay. That's if you how they're paying operate. attention, you're gay. Yeah. Everything, everything. So um the thought was, and this is acknowledged in Rome, that Georg Ratzinger was not a pedophile or a homosexual himself. But they were threatening Pope Benedict, saying, we're going to dredge all of this stuff with, all, with these priests who were under his authority that were raping these boys in the boys' choir, and we're going to say that he was a pedophile. And, you know, can you imagine if you let, – let's say that – and this is probably true. Let's say that Georg Ratzinger is the human being in, in the earthly realm that Pope Benedict loved the most in the world – Certainly since his sister died in 1991, he's been, his brother Georg was the person that he loved most in the world. If someone comes to you and says, we're going to completely, totally character assassinate the person that you love most in the world and accuse them of being a pedophile, what would you do? You know, and that it just goes back and it makes me, it's so frustrating you read these trad ink people who just cannot miss an opportunity to tell the world about how much they hate Pope Benedict. And I don't care. And I hope I never see him or hear from him ever again because he's quitty quitterson and blah, blah, blah. Zero, zero fraternal charity, zero attempt to put yourself into his position and just say, what did they do to him? What's going on here? No, no care about that. No, just indulge your, you know, my daddy abandoned me. So therefore I have to have all these um, daddy abandonment issue complexes. Oh, get in line. Get in line. Everybody born since about 1960 has, has had a broken family abandoning fathers, you know, uh, negligent mothers, all of this crap, get in line. If you can't stow that crap and say, okay, that's, that's what happened to me. That's over here. We're not going to map any of that onto, onto what's going on with the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth. We're going to stop and say, wait a minute, 
What did they do to him? What's the full story here? Let me try to put myself in his shoes as much as I can. What could be the extenuating circumstances here? What could be the points of coercion for him? How about precisely the fact that he did have a wonderful, loving family and had loving relationships with not just his parents, but especially his siblings? Um, can we not even conceive of that and the possibility of that? And why are we not even trying? That's what's so, that lack of fraternal charity is just so disgusting to behold. Well, you asked the question, what would you do? And I almost blurted out, kill him. He's a monarch. He can declare it treason and have him executed. Well... After the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, <laughs> we can all, yeah, I mean, and that's actually a serious point, is that the reason that we're in this mess, largely, is because the vicars of Christ on earth have failed themselves to realize their own authority. And Pope Benedict especially is the um, the exemplar of this. Or not having the courage of convictions to carry out their right. authority. I uh, I'm, I'm going to blank. I'm going to blank on the names of of um, of the people involved here, but I want to say it was Holy Roman Emperor something the fourth. Um, I I don't even remember what it was he did to. Um, I, I, I don't remember what it was, but uh, he. I remember the the Pope excommunicated him, and he this guy immediately realized that's a problem, yeah. and ran physically, didn't ran. take a horse in the snow and begged for three days at at the at the gates of wherever the Pope was at the time yep, to yep. get the excommunication lifted because that once, once a, a monarch, especially the Holy Roman emperor, especially is excommunicated that voids all oaths of, of fealty yep. and, and um, given the other uh, ramifications that follow on from that, he could have been legitimately killed by some of the people who had rival claims against him. Yes. So that, and that was, that was a, a significant thing. And in the other, the other case, the, the Bourbon secession in Spain, the Pope opted not to get involved in that. And it was a question of the Catholic Bourbons versus the Catholic Habsburgs. And he said no. And one of the ramifications that came about from that was the, the war between uh, Spain and France and France and England that boiled over inter, intercontinentally including into the French-American War. And it was a prelude yep. and, a, and a precursor reason for the Boston Tea Party and the American That's Revolution. Right. Yep. And it, it's it because the Vicar of Christ on Earth did not assert the authority that he had. I don't know if it's the same story that you just recounted about the Holy Roman Emperor. It's either the same or there might be another one. It might be the same. The Holy Roman Emperor was excommunicated and then just language alert, hauled ass to Rome, went to St. John Lateran, which remember, St. John Lateran is the Pope's cathedral. And for a long time, the Pope lived at the Lateran. There wasn't the whole complex there is now at the Vatican. He lived at the Lateran. And the and I want to say it was the Holy Roman Emperor Anyone who's been to Rome as a tourist and has been to the Lateran knows that is a large, large church. Holy Roman Emperor crawled on his hands and knees all the way up the nave of the Lateran. And if you remember the Lateran, there's a throne in the apse. That's the Pope's throne. Crawled all the way up 
and I believe he kissed the Pope's he kissed the Pope's foot and and repented. It's either the story you just recount. We'll look it up, and I'm sure the listenership will bombard us with, "Oh, here it is, here it is." Links, links, links. Um, but yeah, it was. It wasn't just um, Eucharistic piety that I think was was motivating the Holy Roman Emperor when he was excommunicated. It's like Supernerd said, he could be then at that point legitimately. Uh, removed from his place, shall we say. And then some. I want to say it was Charles IV. I could be wrong on that point, but I'm pretty sure the Pope was not in Rome at the time, and that was part of the urgency of, of standing at the gate in the snow of wherever wherever he was at the time is because yeah, you're right. they yeah. didn't they didn't have 5G so the, the it's not like everybody mm. had immediate uh, recognition of the fact that the Holy Roman Emperor just got excommunicated hey mobilize on him he was trying to he was trying to get forgiveness before the official communiques even went out yeah yep and you're right it involves snow so that's clearly not Rome that's clearly not Rome you're right so there there's at least two and then there's also the beautiful iconography of the whole um, Anacletus, the, the thing that St. Bernard of Clairvaux clarified, went to Rome. Everybody had acknowledged this anti-pope. The anti-pope was on the throne for eight years, uninterrupted, died peacefully in his bed. His successor anti-pope, Victor IV, is elected. Um, and St. Bernard of Clairvaux is like, you know, guys, goes to Rome and is just like, you know, taking people out for coffee and I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. There wasn't coffee at that time, but it, you know, to put it in mar- modern parlance, taking people out for coffee and saying, Hey, let's talk about this. Um, and, and convinces everybody shows them the truth that Anacletus II actually was the legitimate Pope. The second successive anti-Pope then Victor the fourth goes. And I believe, uh, was it was Anacletus II at the Lateran? I don't know wherever he was. There's a beautiful painting of this of Victor the Fourth has taken off his the papal tiara, has put it down at Anacletus II's um, feet, and is and is kissing his foot. You know, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Um, once again, it's all about repentance, and even, even that's the thing that's so different about today. And I think maybe a lot of modern people don't even fully appreciate this. Before, for lack of a better for lack of a better way to put it, when white Christian people were fighting wars against each other, there was a there was a base of commonality. Take, for example, the famous story of the Christmas during World War I, where a ceasefire was called and the um, Allied and German troops crawled out of their respective foxholes and literally got together and celebrated Christmas together. And then when they were done, everybody went back into their foxhole, a signal was sent, and the war was back on. That's so different than what's going on today, is that there is no, there is no common base there's no common cultural base in anything. And so, um, you know, people like Vox Day, who isn't Catholic, but um, his, his main point is about the fact that when you just mix people who have absolutely zero in common, nothing in common, culturally nothing, it's only going to end like this. This is the completely predictable end when you have 
such completely disparate cultures being forced to live in complete mixture. And that's the Agenda 21 thing. I was talking to somebody just a few hours ago about Agenda 21. And what 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 the hell is that? It's this business of trying to foment war by mixing people who have absolutely no, nothing in common and just do that, do that, and then just wait. It's just a matter of time. There will be war. There will be war. I mean, and it's and not the kind of war that has been fought traditionally in Western Christendom, because you know you have you have your disagreement about question X. You fight your war over question X. It's resolved, and then you go back to having a semblance of some sort of unity in the church, in Christ, that does not exist here. Um, so that's why this is so dangerous. The, the first American Civil War, I mean, there's a tremendous cultural unity un- underpinning the, the North and the South. You have your war, you fight it out. Um, then the surrender is made at what? Appomattox. And then it's just, okay, we're back to being in the same, basically the same culture. That's not what this is. And that's why this is so, this is so disturbing and so frightening because the only way that this can end is if you, is if you resegregate. And yes, I use the word segregate. Absolutely. I did. You're going to have to resegregate. And how in the hell do you do that? Or better yet, conversion. You, mm-hmm. you say segregation. Of, well, if, if people aren't going to believe the same thing, then yes, that's that's better than just having a complete melee and everyone fighting. But I think the Mexican model after uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe is the preferred model where everyone sure. oh, good is, point, united, yeah. is united in faith. Right. And it's, it has no racial thing. So, yeah. If you, the hope that we have going forward, and, and speaking specifically about the black-white thing, because let's face it, that's that's ninety some odd percent of what this is. We have got to get what I colloquially refer to as the black church in the United States. We have got to get the black church into the one true church, and they will make fabulous, fabulous Catholics, but nobody is evangelizing them. And it's even considered now at this point some sort of a crime to try to evangelize them. Um, no, we we need to. The only hope going forward is to get the black church into the one true church. And the sooner the better. Mm-hmm. Next. Yes, Next that topic. was that was kind of a heavy topic. <laughs> I was trying to figure out if there's some way I could segue this, but no, I guess not. Yeah, sometimes um, you just can't. Yeah. No. So the question, how can we explain to non-Catholic family members why we cannot attend a wedding between two Catholics outside of the church, or a mixed marriage for that matter? How can we explain the same point to other Catholics who don't see an issue with it? If you attend a wedding between two Catholics that is outside, outside of the church, what you are basically doing is you are um, ratifying and assenting to their statement of um, apostasy, basically. And you, you can't do that. You cannot do that. Sorry. There's just, 
no, they're, they're saying we are two members of the one true faith and the one true church, but you know what? We're going to make an obscene gesture to all of that, and we're going to go over here, and we're going to do this thing over here. No, you can't do that. Folks, one of the, one of the hallmarks of being an adult and being in a position of any sort of leadership, and you know, anyone who's an adult is technically in a position of leadership because it's your job to be leading people who are younger. One of the hallmarks of that, one of the top duties that you have is saying no, because any imbecile can say yes to everything and yes to everybody. That's not leadership. What, what, what separates the men from the boys in terms of leadership? It's the ability to say no. Um, and this is, this is a case, you know, um, parents refuse to say no to their children. Who, who's paying for that? Who of those two sets of parents is paying for their children to publicly declare that they are apostatized from the one true church by, by, by no less than their, their marriage or pseudo marriage? I mean, come on. If you can't stand up to your kids and say no, then you're, you're a failure. You're a failure as a parent. And that is your primary charge. That's the ends of marriage. You get married. Why? To have children and raise them in the faith. And, you know, the, the unitive aspect and the happy times, the happy mommy, da- daddy times that happen in the bedroom, that's deeply secondary to what the point, the entire point of your marriage is, was to have and raise those kids as Catholic. And if you ratify them going off and and giving our Lord the finger, basically, in that act of their marriage, then you are a total failure on the level of, be, of it being definitely sinful. That's, that's another interesting point. How many people in this world have been just complete failures as parents? And it's never even occurred to them. It's never been mentioned to them that they should maybe confess that. Hey, all of my kids are apostates. One of them is a sodomite. All of them are pro-sodomy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of them contracept. You know, my husband and I had four children and we have one grandchild, you know, I mean, things like that. Does it ever occur to any of these people Are any of them ever even told or have it suggested to them, you should maybe confess this. You really, really screwed up as a parent. Nope. It's never even said. In fact, I think that's one of the things that a priest would be most afraid that a, a weak-willed priest would be most afraid to say to anyone in his parish is that you have been a failure as a parent and you need to go to confession about that. I, I don't think you could find. I think a priest would be more, more likely to encourage people to confess having contracepted than to, than to confront them about their failure in raising their children. And I would imagine there are not a few couples who were misled shall we say, by, by um, Catholic priests, and only later have they converted after they, perhaps after the kids are out of the house and they're only realizing now what they didn't do or what they should have done. 
And I wouldn't want to be too harsh on them saying, hey, you screwed up. They didn't, they actually were following what they were supposed to be doing. Perhaps they were of good faith. I would like to think that grace would have flowed and they would have made a different decision or different decisions would have happened. But nobody knows the inter- interior aspect of the soul in that, that, perspe- that aspect. But I I definitely know some 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 people who had that conversion to, to tradition, Um or became started going to the traditional mass, started learning the Catholic faith for the first time when they started going to tradition and then realized, oh, crap, I completely failed in raising my children. And now, can I, can I go, go back on being kind of the, the hard-nosed member of, the, of, of our little team here? Um, the third commandment. I mean, seriously? How many of these people basically stopped going to mass, became Christmas Easter, or became like, you know— we'll go to mass like six times a year or something like that. Okay. You've got the third commandment. You know that it's a mortal sin to not go to mass on Sunday. And remember, I'm talking about pre-corona BS, you know, under, understand the context of which I'm talking about. You stop going to mass. How can you not? It's a commandment. It's the third commandment. How can you not know that you are in a state of mortal sin? How can you not know that you are failing your children by not taking them to mass on Sunday? It's the third commandment. So what I would encourage people to think about is, you know, when you're standing in front of our Lord and you're saying, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. The first question you have to ask is, is anything that you've done in obvious, glaring, direct opposition to any one of the commandments of the Decalogue. If, if it is, I really struggle to see how these people are going to be able to claim that I was invincibly ignorant and I had no idea. I mean, come on. Not invincibly ignorant per se, but certainly not encouraged to wake up. And and uh, we, we can see two sides of, of just on this one question where uh, instruction of, of the ignorant is... is is in play again, and this is like four times now. This has come up. This might be have to be the the title of the podcast, but uh, this this theme keeps coming up. Um, ignorance is a pretty big deal. Ignorance is is a punishment for sin, and if you want to save your soul, you need to recognize that you are ignorant. And one of the things we have to do as Catholics is to continue to learn. Now, if you're a cleric, it's actually an obligation under sin to. I forget which order it is or which or if it's all of them or some of them, you actually have to study a certain amount of time per week. But even us lay people, we are obliged to learn the faith. We just don't have exact prescriptions about how many hours per, per week we're, we're supposed to study it and what form that takes, whether listening to, to the Sunday sermon uh, at church or, or online or whatever, whether or not that counts. And certainly there is there are great, great resources online um, for learning the faith and, and or relearning the faith as the case may be. And that certainly is, is one way of going about it. Um, there's some great audio books, um, a few, I mean, Audible doesn't really, you know, specialize in, in, in selling a lot of Catholic books, but there are some out there. Uh, if you're non-dyslexic and, and you can read fine with your eyes, then that's a great resource. There are more books than you can count. Some by Amazon, a lot by Interlibrary Loan. Uh, you can buy them used on Abe Books and the other places like that. Um, it's it's not hard. Well, you, you've made the comment before that little baby TV with a 4G, soon to be 5G connection. That thing's got access to 
the world's library. I keep mentioning the, the app IP Eta. That's got it's got a library that would have been the the envy of, of any middle um, medieval scholastic monastery. Just in the app. Yeah. So. Yep. It's it's hard to argue. It's hard to argue. Um, the thing about sin is that it makes you stupid and it makes you blind. It doesn't make you, it doesn't drop your IQ. It, That's not what I'm of talking the about. It's the darkening of the intellect. And so you get people who are in a state of unrepentant mortal sin and most especially folks, people who are receiving the Eucharist sacramentally in a state of unrepentant mortal sin. Oh my gosh. These people could not see, and they could have IQs of 140. I don't care. These people couldn't see a fluorescent green bus hurtling at them at 100 miles an hour if their life depended on it. They cannot look at objective reality and draw proper conclusions from it. It's not because they're stupid. It's not because they have a low IQ. In fact, some of them are absolutely brilliant writers. And oh, florid prose and how impressive this is. And oh, look how smart this person is. And look at this person's photographic memory. They can summon facts and da 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 da. These people are received, especially if they're receiving Holy Communion in a state of unrepentant mortal sin. The intellect goes dark and they're just, they can't see anything. And I guess the simplest way to put it is that they're just consistently wrong. Um, so be, be on the lookout for that. Don't think that just because someone is incredibly smart, that they are, that they're accurate and they're, and that their intellect is, is clear and illuminated that is not the case that this in fact this is an extraordinarily dangerous delusion to be under um so just just throwing that out there just yeah, the more that sharp there. somebody's intellect is the more that's going to be demanded of them at their judgment and i've made the comment multiple times and i'm just repeating doctors of the church and saints that it's not what you know it's it's how much you love yeah and yep. the the benefit of the intellect in this regard is that you can learn more about God to instruct what there is to love. If you if you can enumerate, if you know more about God to love, arguably you can love God more than somebody who doesn't know all that. Now granted, you still only can max out at 100% of your ability, but God gives those those gifts. Maybe you're supposed to be enlightened. Um, St. Thomas is not in heaven because he was smart. He, isn't, he was in heaven because he loved God. You were reading my mind. You br you bring up Saint Thomas. Let let me put let me put this out there. Saint Thomas Aquinas was potentially one of the most dangerous human beings to ever live. Why? Because he was brilliant, and he he could have he could have. There's a famous story. His he was from kind of a noble family, and his his family was. Um, angry that he had chosen to go and, um, you know, become a Dominican and, and be a, be a monk and all of this. And they, they were angry. They wanted him to come back to the family and have children and, you know, be a, 
whatever he was, a Duke or a Count or whatever it was, not a Duke, but a Count or something like that. Um, and they sent his brothers, procured a prostitute and sent a prostitute to his cell to try to cause him to fall and, you know, come on, come back home, da, 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 da. And he chased her. He, he pulled a red hot poker out of the fire that he had going in his fireplace. And he chased this whore down the stairs precisely because, because obviously St. Thomas Aquinas was heterosexual, obviously, obviously, because remember sexual perversion is a function of diabolical narcissism. And, and St. Thomas Aquinas was a saint. He was, he was filled with love. His soul was filled with love. You have to purge love from your soul in order to become a diabolical narcissist and thus a sex pervert. No, it's precisely because he was heterosexual and, and this, this whore coming, you know, and presenting herself, you know, scandalously, we can assume, um, that he, he grabbed the poker out of the fire and he chased her down the stairs. Um, and chased her out. So if, if he had gone the way of Luther, of Martin Luther, who was a, who was a absolutely unrepentant, disgusting, sacrilegious, uh, fornicator carried on. He was a priest. He was an Augustinian priest and he was, and he was having sex with a, with a nun, Katerina von Bora. And his entire, everything about him fell into the sucking maw of just trying to convince himself that the fact that he was a fornicator was okay and it didn't matter. A, a fornicator priest, a sacrilegious fornicator priest, <clears throat> Thomas Williams, Liz Lev. <laughs> so um, Aquinas was brilliant, brilliant. But as Supernerd said, he wasn't, he's not in heaven because he was brilliant. He's in heaven because he, he rejected sin from his life and his intellect was clear. And that's how he could write all of this stuff. Whereas Luther, on the other side, is over here writing the most Luciferian, diabolical, accusing our Lord of being an adulterer, accusing our Lord of having had sex with this woman and this woman and this woman, and saying all these just jaw-droppingly Luciferian, evil, evil things, sin boldly, prove how much faith you have, commit, commit terrible sins and prove how much sin you have. The conscience, your conscience is, is, is the voice of Satan. Do the opposite of what your conscience says. If your conscience says, don't fornicate that you should fornicate i mean i mean luther was insane we'll we'll uh, link in the show notes to my collection of luther's quotes which it, it, I, i'm sorry but every time i post those i get hate mail from lutherans saying well you're taking him out of context and the, the blah blah like what in the hell are you talking about he's accusing our lord of having had sex with multiple women he's saying if if your wife isn't in the mood let the maid come oh he's taken out of context it's really weird to see again going back to the darkening of the intellect of seeing um and you have to forgive there's noise in the background because a, a 
street sweeper is coming by, which is lovely. We, we enjoy clean streets. Um, that how the intellect darkens and it's such a consistent phenomenon, you know, and again, it's all, it's all a function of love and love of God specifically. You still there? Yep. Are you? Oh. <laughs> I thought I thought the connection dropped there. It just, it just went uh, suspiciously quiet. Okay. Nope. Um. Well, the the warts of that audio, notwithstanding, uh, we got time for one more. And okay. before before we wrap up, because it, it is uh, kind of salient to the wrap up, somebody asks, "I'm thinking of becoming a benefactor for Anne. Part of my reasoning is for for lending my support would be to receive the benefits of the masses. But wouldn't that be simony in some way?" No, 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 no. Great question. But what everyone needs to do is break open their, um, preferably your missile. I have the Baronius missile, which so many of us have, so, so many of us have. Um, but really any good old examination of conscience, go to the fourth commandment, which is thou shalt honor thy mother and thy father. And under the, under the list, under the fourth commandment, one of the first things it says is, are you honoring your benefactors? And so um, there, there's an interesting story that goes along with this. Um, years ago, as I have intimated before on the podcast and a couple of times in writing, I had the misfortune of falling in with some, with a kind of a bad crowd. And these people turned are, are uh, trad ink people. And one of them was, would lecture me. Um, this is before I even ever put a PayPal button up ever. Um, lecture me about how the, your readers are rubes. They exist um, to give you money. And you need to yell at them all the time and be constantly yelling at them and telling, telling them to give you money. And this person then said, you know what? They're stupid and they will. And then when they give you money, you know what you need to do? You need to yell at them some more and tell them that they didn't give you enough money. And you know what? They'll give you more. This person said to me many, many times, I don't care. I don't write for other people. I write for myself. And this, this, this was true. This person, if you ever had the, had the misfortune of ending up going to their house or anything like that, they would bring you tea and then they would, they would open their laptop and sit there and read to you, read their own essays to you. And you were supposed to say, oh, isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant? This person would say to me over and over again, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't give a shit if anybody reads anything that I write. I write for myself. The purpose of the readers is to give you money. They're rubes. And that's the word, R-U-B-E-S, over and over and over again. They called their readers the rubes. And, they, and they're stupid, and you have to yell at them and tell them to give you money. And I was just horrified by this. Horrified. And I, and I thought to myself, you know what? If I put this PayPal button up, which is the first iteration at the very beginning, which was like, when did I put the PayPal button up? Like November of 2013. That's the first time I ever took, took money on the internet. Um, 
And and then Christmas of 2013. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. Christmas of 2013, this person gave me this whole lecture about how you use you use the readers the only reason they exist is to give you money they're all stupid they're all rubes yell at them that and that was it. yell at them yell at them and i thought i have to do something i i have to do something i can't i mean you know i i, I can't you know physically give re, give recompense to people who are, who are donating to me and, you know, coming off of the kind of career that I had and the kind of money that I was making, I freely admit that it was a, it was a profound humiliation, but kind of in the good way. And it was the making of me. And I, I, I thank God every day that I'm out of the commodities business. If you said, Anne, we could, we could get you back in. We could get your registration re-upped and everything. We could open a firm. We could have, you could have, you know, a metals division, a, a agricultural products division, um, a Forex division. Oh my gosh, at this point, if, if I opened a commodity firm, just the metals guys would probably put me into, into a position where I was making more now than I ever made before at the peak of my powers as a cattle and grain broker, I want nothing to do with it. I want absolutely nothing to do with it. The, the best thing that ever happened to me, and I was talking to someone just today about, about John Corzine and MF Global and all that. And in, in, in an extraordinarily strange, bizarre way, um, John Corzine and MF Global was kinding, kind of the making of me. And it was, a, it was definitely a stepping stone to get me to the point where I am right now where I'm able to be a person highly involved in this fight for the papacy and for the vicar of Christ. Um, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing to think about. But back, back to the whole thing of taking money from people. So this, this trad ink person um, gives me this lecture. You, you know, the rubes, that's all they're good for. Yell at them. Tell, you, gotta tell, you gotta yell at them and tell them to give you money. And I was like, oh my gosh. I, I have to, I have to do something for these people because it's right there in the examination of conscience before I go to every confession. There it is right there under the fourth commandment. What, what am I doing for my benefactors? And you say, well, you're providing them with this content. Well, see, that's cute, but that's not enough. That's not enough. So what do you do? What, what is the best thing I can do for anybody? have the holy sacrifice of the mass offered for them while they are still alive. All, all of the doctors, all of the saints, everybody says, a mass that's offered for you while you are still alive is like a factor of a thousand more efficacious than mass is said for you after you're dead. It's like, all right, this is, this is a no-brainer. I've got this readership. I know a bunch of priests. I've got a bunch of priests reading me. I can discreetly set this up so that um, I can have the holy sacrifice offered for my benefactors. And it started out one a month. And then I got, say, I got to do more. Okay. Then it got to once a week. Then it got to one a day. Then it got to multiple per day, just so that we can be sure 
that there's at least one mass offered per day. So I'm, I've, I think I've got it right now. So that there are three, I've got three priests who are commemorating my benefactors every day, which means that no matter what happens, if, if that priest is, you know, doesn't say mass that day for whatever reason, or if or anything happens, since I've got three lined up, we can be, we can be assured that at least one is said every day that my benefactors and my supporters are commemorated every day. The other point about this is, is that it's my benefactors and supporters. Um, as, as the childhood toy commercial said, no purchase necessary, batteries not included. Uh, so, so um, you don't, it's not completely contingent upon a, a financial transaction. Not that that's what Simony is anyway. Simony is like what's going on in Germany, where you either pay the, the Kirchensteuer church tax as a percentage of your income tax. And if you don't pay that, they will not, they will not baptize your children. They will not give you a funeral. That's Simony. That is Simony. Having someone say, you have donated to me, you are my benefactor, I'm having the holy sacrifice of the mass said for you. If you don't want to, if you don't want to give me any money, that's totally fine. Would you please maybe once in a while say an Ave for me? You're a supporter. Okay, you're a supporter. You're in. And, you know, I, I, me and God, we got an arrangement He's got the list. He curates the list. He knows who's on it. And the other thing that I made as an arrangement with God is, if at some point in the future you decide that you hate my guts and that I've, I was a horrible person all along and you made a terrible mistake in ever giving me one cent, you know what? You're still on the list. Once you're on the list, you never come off the list. The holy sacrifice of the mass will still be offered for you at minimum once per day, even if you decide that you hate me. So there you go. That's that's my answer about the simony thing. It's not simony. It's doing your duty according to the fourth commandment. Absolutely. And I think that pretty much wraps up uh, the, the time for, for this week. And so I'm going to write, I'm going to go into the wrap up the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, questions, because I'm sure we're going to be doing this a lot more, maybe not entire episodes where we're doing ask Ann type stuff, but uh, something we've been talking about doing is doing um, segments in the show so that, that uh, we'll have a main topic and then maybe uh, toward the end, have an ask Ann. So maybe this would be something that just shows up as a regular feature in the podcast. But anyway, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. As Anne just said, she expresses her profound gratitude to her benefactors by having at least one mass said for them every single day, plus one traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass for everybody who died the previous week. Did they kill Ghislaine Maxwell yet? Uh, not yet. Okay. She's still she's still alive. Yeah. When, when she does pass away, uh, there will be a requiem for her as well. Please don't forget the priests. Uh, the priests who say these masses, obviously, mm-hmm. if they're... Um, if if they're not able for one reason or another, whether they're under an interdict from their bishop or 
who knows what else, what other evils are uh, you know, in store for them. I'm, I'm sure Satan's got an, a complete arsenal. He's not going to tip hands at, at how he's going to take out the priests and, and, and uh, the, the clerics and the, the, the rest of the clergy at the end times. He's got some nasty surprises up his sleeve. I mean, how many of us saw Corona cult coming? I'm sure right. he's got some really devious crap up his sleeve. So please pray for these priests. Without them, not only don't we have the masses for the benefactors, but we don't get the sacraments either. So mm-hmm. we definitely need them. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or in previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com. And I want to thank Marion and Mike who sent in donations via the Amazon gift certificate option. And finally, the Matthew 1720 initiative. Fourfold, that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope, preferably before he dies, Um, that anti-Pope Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of anything he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time in the, we're not rooting for anybody's death in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision fasting twice a week and of course daily rosary mass any anything you can do that you're working that in as an intention nothing less will do our lady undoer of knots pray for us a question I just thought of next time you talk to Dr. Matza uh, mm-hmm. or have, have a recorded podcast mm-hmm. uh, assuming the position that that benedict did bifurcate the papacy from the bishopric of rome what if francis and benedict die at the same time do the electors have to know what they're electing somebody to do do the offices merge back together at that point yeah i would say probably yes but i mean that's incredibly speculative but what i'm hoping for is that um we talked about this on the last matzo ball cast that people have kind of have tunnel vision about how the Pope is elected because it's been consistent now for, for many centuries that the college of Cardinals elects from within themselves, from one of their own, the next Pope. That is not, that is not how it has to be. The Pope has the ability to essentially dictate before he dies, how his successor will be elected and he can all he can all but name his successor by for example naming as um honoris the second did in the election of anacletus the second um naming a council of eight cardinals to elect which you know that's basically saying okay i'm going to pick these eight guys and they all know they all know who the next one needs to be um the pope the pope is an absolute monarch so we can do anything so don't get uh, locked into the idea that it has to be the College of Cardinals electing one of their own. That is not historically accurate. And I'm I'm highly optimistic that somehow, some way, this is going to resolve by a um, non-traditional, shall we say, tradition giving the last the the last several centuries, a non-traditional way of electing the next Vicar of Christ. We shall see, probably sooner mm-hmm. than later, because um, at, at their ages, uh, yeah, Benedict and Francis don't have much time left. So, yep, yep. Okay, until next time, I am Super Nerd, and I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs>